Well, our thanks to the praise team for leading us in praise. Thank you, Huey, for um, praying for us and reading the Word of God for us this morning. Um, came back late last night from um, speaking at a retreat, Hope Bible Church of the Valley. They met at the same place where we go sometimes for our retreat, Oxnard, Radisson. And I gave three messages from Titus 2. Friday night, I spoke on right doctrine, right life, right evangelism, right doctrine being Jesus died for God. Our Lord wasn't a pragmatist. He prayed on Gethsemane, if there was any other way, let this cup pass from him, but not my will be done, your will, telling us that he didn't want to die for us. He didn't want to be separated from God the Father, incur the wrath and judgment of God, but he went to the cross solely because it was God's will. So, Jesus died for God. Right life is Titus 2, the responsibilities the standards for older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and how right life is the proof of right doctrine. And then the final sermon was last night, and I could not package our three-part study on the older and younger women, so we went to Proverbs 31 and studied um, um, women of noble character and tied that with Titus 2 to close out last night. It's a wonderful time of ministry. Wonderful time of fellowship with all the leaders there, all the saints. Hope Bible Church sends you their greeting. And I gave them our greeting on behalf of our body. They're a, they're a younger church than us. They've been, they planted about two and a half years ago. And it was neat. You know, we're a young church. But to have a church somewhat um, where we're a model for them, where they pattern themselves after us, uh, was a blessing to and somehow encourage them and uh, bring you a good report. Secondly, we thank all of you. On last week's communion service, we had a special offering for our Kazakhstan missions team. Uh, we're leaving in two weeks. It's right around the corner. And uh, the Czech Republic team also collected offering for Peter and Sonia Smith, Tim and Barbara Coyle. And we collected over $3,300. And praise God, and the funds will be used for those purposes. Now, I'll start our study this morning in John chapter 10 in our continual study on Christ the shepherd and the sheep. Um, I've never done this before. I think it's the first time doing this. Uh, this morning I woke up early. Um, I saw what looked like snow outside, so I opened the door and it wasn't snow. It was the ash from what's burning in the, um, in the woods. And I looked down and there was a card a placed on our doorstep. So I opened it up, and what I read, about, what I read, I was so encouraged by what I read, uh, I want to share that with, with you. I also want to share it with you to kind of, for all of us to hear uh, the power of God's Word, um, how, God, how the Holy Spirit is using God's Word to impact lives at Cornerstone, and particularly our study in, in John chapter 10. It, it has been a tremendous study, and we truly thank the Lord. Uh, the person will be kept anonymous, but this is what the person wrote. Obviously, it's, a, it's not a brother, right? A brother wouldn't use a card like this. So, it's a, it's a lady, a sister in Christ. So, this is what she wrote. Dear James, I want to share with you what the Lord has been doing in my life through the recent te- teachings on John 10, the Good Shepherd. I'm writing you because the word that is being preached on Sunday is changing my life. 
starting from the inner man. Every day I think Christians obey. Every day I think that there are two types of people in the world, Christians and those that are being called to be Christians. And lastly, that essence comes before a person's faith or non-faith. Christians obey. This has led me to Romans six twelve through 14 I have put these verses to memory so that in my heart I can remind myself not to make any provision for the flesh to be led to sin. Christians and those being called to Christians, God has been training me to learn to have compassion and love for the lost. Whether I am at school or at LA Fitness or wherever, the Lord is opening my eyes to opportunities to share truth with the lost. He has been convicting my heart of my selfishness and conceit. He is showing me that I lack love for my fellow believers. He is showing me my pride and resistance towards humility. Please pray for me in this area. Lastly, essence comes before a person's faith or non-faith. Over the past four years, my, quote, essence was so questionable. There was no fruit of salvation, and instead, I fed my sins of selfishness. I lived life the way the world sees it. I agree with Piper when he states, quote, Existentialism came home to roost in the Bible. Existence precedes essence. That is, I don't find meaning I created. That's what Christianity had become to me. However, your sermons have rebuked my pride and selfishness and have shown me my need to obey and seek how to obey through the Word. The Lord has given me much joy in studying His Word. I am amazed and beyond thankful to Him. I want to share one more thing. It is another quote from Piper and I love this quote. Somehow, there had been wakened in me a passion for the essence and the main point of life. The ethical question, whether something is permissible, faded in relation to me. The question, what is the main thing, the essential thing, remained in my heart. The thought of building a life around minimal things, minimal significance, A life defined by the question, what is permissible, felt almost disgusting to me. I didn't want a minimal life. I didn't want to live in the outskirts of reality. I wanted to understand the main thing about life and pursue it. Thank you, James, for your hard work and faithfulness to our body. I'll be praying for you and your family. Well, reading this was a great encouragement. Not so much for the personal thanks, really, but really because of the Word of God impacting this person's heart to be transformed in their inner man, all for the glory of Christ. And I say amen to the quote, I also do not want to live a minimal life. I also do not want to live on the outskirts of reality. I want to understand the main thing in life. I want to understand and pursue the main thing in life as well. And that is what we've been studying for the past several weeks. The jugular truths of the Christian faith. 
that we would not be intellectual slobs, gathering facts, storing knowledge, and missing out on the core basic truths of the Christian faith. These are the truths that we've been studying in John chapter 10. And I believe that if we as a corporate body of believers, and we individually as believers would apply ourselves to these few simple basic truths, God will indeed transform our lives all for His glory. Let me quote to you again Piper's quote from Don't Waste Your Life. He wrote, You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in this world. But you do have to know of the few great things that matter and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but those who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles that you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on into eternity, you don't have to have an IIQ. You don't have to have good looks. You don't have to have money or come from a fine family or go to a good school. No. Instead, you have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious truths and be set on fire by them, end quote. He's telling us it is not how much we know, but it's that how much of us is captive to the few grand truths of the Scriptures. And has it not been a wondrous journey thus far in John 10? Just discovering these heart-stirring truths from the words of Christ. The first truth we learned many weeks ago was that there are just two categories of people in the world. That's it. Men, women, slave, free, Greek, Gentile, Jew, does not matter. The only category that matters is Christians and non-Christians. The second truth was that Christians, we belong to Christ. That Christ is our owner. Why? Because He chose us. He knew us by name before the foundation of the earth and He selected us. He predestined us. We belong to Him because He purchased us. He gave His life to redeem us, to ransom us to Himself. Thirdly, because the Father gave the elect to His Son because of His love for the Son. Therefore, we belong to Him. Thirdly, we did a watershed study on the doctrine of unconditional election. What a beautiful study. What an awesome study. It is a doctrine that that glorifies our God, at the same time, humble, sinful man, teaching us that we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve this grace. That is the definition of grace. It's unmerited favor. He saved us because of His own good pleasure. And then the fourth truth was the most controversial one, the one most rejected here at Cornerstone, the one most rejected by professing believers, the simple truth that Christians obey Christ. Christ says, I know my sheep, I know my people, better than they know themselves. And one thing I know about my people, Christ said, they follow me. From that we learn that Christians follow Christ. Period. 
fish swim, birds fly. I want all of us to memorize that for the end of our series, right? Fish swim, birds fly, and what do Christians do? Christians obey Christ. That is what we do. And when we obey, it is nothing to boast about. We're not going beyond the call of duty. We're doing the bare minimum when we obey because that's what Christians do. And then last week and this week, we've been studying through eternal security. That our salvation is secure in Christ. The fifth truth from verses 28 through 29. J.C. Rao in his commentary, the Gospel of John, he's said this concerning this passage. The importance of the doctrine contained in this text cannot in my judgment be overrated. The Christian who does not hold to eternal security, Ralph says, is a great loser. Not just a loser. He's a great loser. Right? Now, if I may interpret again what Pastor Raul is saying, he's not talking loser in a pejorative sense. He's not you know, calling people names. It's not a put down. But in a spiritual sense, when a believer believes that their salvation can be taken away, they're losing out on great spiritual blessings, on great spiritual pleasures, great spiritual privileges. Now, what doctrine is this? It's a doctrine of eternal security. And I said last week, there are basically two camps, the Calvinistic camp and the Arminian camp. A group, the Calvinists believe salvation cannot be taken away. Arminians believe salvation can be taken away. It can be taken away by suffering. It can be taken away by sin. It can be taken away by Satan. It can be taken away by yourself. It can be taken away by God. You can lose your salvation. Oh, for me personally, I said this last week, I believe this, is, this debate is unnecessary because the Bible is so clear about this truth. I mean, it is just crystal clear. John 6.37 All the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. John 6.39 This is the will of Him who sent me that I shall lose none of all that He has given me but will raise them up on the last day. Philippians 1.6 What was Paul's confidence? His confidence is this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to His eternal kingdom. Hebrews 12.2 Paul said, let us, the writer of Hebrews said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author of our faith. But He is also the finisher. He is the perfecter of our faith. So after you read all the verses, you read the New Testament, and you conclude that Christians can lose our salvation, brother or sister, with all love, with all humility, I really have nothing else to say to you. Because if the Bible will not convince you, how can I convince you? How can I change your mind? If the Bible will not convince you, if you will not submit to the truths of Scripture, why would anyone want to submit to James Shin? I mean, today's passage, John 10, 28 and 29, I give them eternal life. 
and they will never perish. Words are written in red. These are the promises of Christ. Christ cannot lie. He is thrice holy. Christ, He is in authority. He is God who is sovereign. There is no one above Him. He promises they will never perish. He says, no one can or will snatch them out of my hand. I'm holding on to my flock. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The scripture is abundantly clear. Now we talked about last week, a parallel truth that's very close to eternal security. And that truth is assurance of salvation. And we talked about legitimate faith. Remember? An illegitimate faith. Now concerning assurance of salvation, we all need to have, there is some legitimate fear concerning that. And what is that? The legitimate fear is whether one is, is or is not a Christian. That's the fear. It's not that people lose their salvation. It's that they were never Christians in the first place. So from our perspective, man, that Sunday school teacher. Man, that person was part of the praise team. Man, my high school buddy. right? He witnessed to me and he's not a, not a Christian. He must have lost it. No, 1 John 2.19 tells us that they left us because they were never of us in the beginning. If they were of us, if they were Christians they would have never left the Christian faith. Therefore, the fear is, am I truly a believer or not? This fear is emphasized throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.12 If you think you're standing firm, Paul says, be careful, unless you fall. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Unless, of course, you fail the test. Matthew 7. Many will say to me in that last day, that day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, cast out demons, and work all kinds of signs and wonders for you? And Christ will say, never have I known you. Away from me, workers of iniquity. Christ will say, you were never a Christian. What about James 1.22? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves Do what it says. That's a scary verse right there. It tells us that because of our depravity, because of our sinfulness and wickedness, the word of God becomes a source of deception for us. Understand that? The word of God becomes a source of our own self-deception. If we sit in church and hear the word of God and we just soak it all in, but we don't have the mindset to obey its commands. It causes us to be deceived, deluded, to think that because of our knowledge, we're saved. Because of our acknowledgement of the basic propositional truths of Scripture, that Jesus died on the cross and on the third day He was raised, I know that, therefore I'm saved. James says, don't you know even demons believe that? Like the devil believes that. Demons believe all those truths. They believe the Bible. And they're afraid. They shake. They're seismos. They're quaking. But not the false Christian. He soaks it all in. And instead of quaking in his heart because he is afraid, whether or not he's a true Christian, he is very presumptuous, confident, though there is no obedience. That, my brothers and sisters, is a legitimate fear. 
But the fear that one can lose one's salvation is an illegitimate fear. It is a fear that is wrongly placed to think that I believe in Christ. Because I'm a Christian, I'm obeying Christ. I see fruits of the Spirit in my life. I see my heart transformed for the glory of God. I see true humility, true love for the things of God. And yet, having the fear that this awe can be taken away, that salvation can be ripped from our hearts, and will be cast to eternal damnation in hell, is not a legitimate fear. For all of us here, if we, if we have any degree of such fear in our hearts, and we all do, that is why this sermon is not like the previous sermons. This sermon is not a rebuke, it's not a challenge, it's not a condemnation. It's sweet medicine. You know, there's medicine that is bitter, there's medicine that is hard to take down, it's good for you. This medicine is sweet. It's like dark chocolate, you know? It's like Godiva chocolate. It's sweet going in. Not only that, it's good for our soul because our study in John 20, 10, 28, 29 teaches us, confirms to us, and we'll look at Romans 8 as well, that when, we are, that when Christ saves a man, when Christ saves a woman, it is secure. It is eternal. Once you are truly saved, you are saved. Now, to our friends who disagree with us, they propose that there are three threats to a Christian's faith. It's people, circumstances, and God. Really a review from last week. First of all, they believe that people can take away your salvation. Like non-believing family members. They know how to push all the buttons. They know what provokes you to anger. They know your secret sins. They know the mistakes you've made. And at every opportunity, because they're just tired of your, 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 your Christianity, they're just pushing those buttons and you're afraid because they know you so well that maybe they're right, I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm, they can take away my salvation. Maybe we're afraid of the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, or the Roman Catholic Church. The workspace salvation. They will deceive me to believe that they are right. What if I'm led astray and I lose my salvation? What if Satan himself attacks me? Can I lose my salvation? The answer is no. John 10, 27, 28. Christ says, No one can snatch, snatch them out of my hand. My Father was greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. No person. No person has the, the authority, the power to do that because God's will reigns supreme. Secondly, we looked at things or circumstances in life that threaten our salvation. The Arminians say that suffering can cause someone to lose salvation. Well, we asked that question last week. Can suffering remove our salvation? The answer is a resounding no. The Bible tells us that for believers, we are to rejoice in our salvation. See, for a non-Christian, they can't make sense of suffering. Their life is dominated by the existential question, why? Why did this happen to me? 
and they go into a downward spiral of despair, depression, guilt, and shame, and they can't lift themselves above that because there are no answers. But not for the Christian. For the Christian, when we suffer, we can suffer with joy, James 1 tells us. Why? Because God's purposes reign supreme even in the midst of our sufferings. That God uses sufferings for His own great purposes. Remember how suffering is good? How God uses suffering to teach us to hate sin? When we go through illness, when we see family members suffer, when we see young children have, have cancer or have diseases, it teaches us to hate sin because all of these things have been caused by sin. Secondly, suffering teaches us to see the sin that is within us. It reminds us. It causes, it causes us to mind that we are still fallen. That sin, self-centeredness, pride, anger, idolatry is still within us and causes us to be humble before God. Suffering is also good for the believer because it drives us to God. You know, for the Christian, what we, do, what we ought to fear is prosperity. When a Christian pr- prospers, a tendency for the heart to be distracted. In a prosperity, the heart is easily divided. It's prosperity that causes us to maybe stray from the Lord. But suffering has the opposite effect, Right? Suffering causes us to be broken and go to God, to cling to God, to read the scriptures, to pray all the more. Suffering also is good because it conforms us to Christ. We experience the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. We begin to understand our Lord. And like Paul, we begin to bear the marks of Christ in our lives because we suffer with Him. And finally, suffering produces greater glory. Produces greater glory. Second Corinthians 4.17 Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So for the believer, God uses suffering for the good. It's good for Christians to suffer. It is necessary for us to suffer. It is the only way to true maturity. Now, what about sin? Can sin separate us from Christ? Can sin cause us to lose our salvation? And you know what, guys? This is the most astonishing thing of all. The Bible tells us, Romans 8.28, that even the sins of believers work for our good. Even the sin. Now, I don't want to lessen the vileness of sin, the filthiness of sin, but the Bible tells us, and listen carefully, that sin cannot ultimately triumph in the believer because God overrules it with His grace. He turns it out for the good. Now, it does not mean we should sin so that grace may abound. No. 
God hates sin. Therefore, believers are to hate sin as well. Sin is still wicked. It is still sin. It is still an offense to God. It is still deserving of damnation, eternal punishment. But the point here is that even our sins cannot separate us from Christ. Because God overrules it. God uses it for His own glory. That's, that's the truth for the Christian. Our own sins can result in something that is good. Bad things like suffering, evil things like sin, all work together to make us more like Christ. Turn with me to Romans 8. I really felt pressed to do a Maybe a brief exposition on Romans 8, 28 through 39, just to prove this to all of you, to, to, to sear it into our hearts. That for Christians, our suffering, even our sins, hey, listen, even the sins committed against us cannot separate, separate us from God. Even the sins that have been committed against us, God uses for His purposes. Romans 8, 28-39, one of the early church fathers once said that the whole of Scripture was a feast for the soul. If that is true, Romans 8, that's the main dish. Romans eight twenty-eight, God says, We know that for those who love God, all, all things work together for good. For those who have been called according to His purpose. It's an awesome verse. You want to highlight that verse. You want to underline that verse. You want to maybe run your fingers across that verse to make sure it's there. Right? To prove to yourself that that verse actually exists. That God inspired Paul to write that verse down for us. It is a tremendously comforting and reassuring statement. There could not be a more comforting, reassuring statement than Romans 8.28. A commentator writes to this verse, No promise made to a believer could contribute more hope, more happiness, more freedom, and more joy in the heart than that promise. Because it promises to us that no matter what the pain no matter what the problems, no matter what the failures, what difficulties, what disasters, what sin, what suffering, what temptation, that verse promises to us that God works all things. Suffering, our sins, sins committed against us, God works for the good. The word all, panta in the Greek, you know what it means? It means all, right? Same thing it means in the English. means in the Greek. God uses all things. There are no limits. It means absolutely everything. God works for the good. You know that word, work together? It's the Greek word, synergeo. It's the word where we get synergy, synergistic. God is saying, Paul is saying, everything in life is synergistic. Everything blends together. Everything operates cooperatively by the will of God for one purpose. For the good. Now what is that good? It's not our good. It's not our definition of good. Because our definition of good is sinful good, right? What is my good? 
I don't know what my good is. Like, it's my good. Like, so I can rest. I can sleep. I can eat. I can be comfortable. I can be happy. No, God doesn't work everything so that it'll be good for you. No, that definition of good is very important. It's found in verse 29. The good is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, God's Son. You know what God does? He synergizes everything. He brings everything together. And He produces something beautiful in our lives. What is that? He makes us holy. He makes us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. That is why you can never lose your salvation. Because no matter what happens in life, it turns out for the good. Now, in case anyone is not convinced, Paul continues. And he says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is there anyone, anything in life, powerful enough, man enough, to separate God's people from God? Will anyone come up and face the challenge? And he says, Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Tribulation is the Greek word philipsis, which means outward pressure. Distress is the Greek word, means inward difficulty. Paul is saying, is there outward pressure that can take us away from Christ? Is there inward pressure that can separate us from Christ? No way. What about persecution, diagmas? What about physical abuse? Physical torture because of our Christian faith? Can that break the back of our faith? What about famine? What about having no food? Right? Going 2, 3, 4, 10, 20, 30, 40 days without food. I mean, that kind of pain and suffering, will that cause a believer to lose his faith or her faith? What about peril? I mean, simply being exposed to dangers that you cannot identify. Impending disaster. What about mockeria? Sword. Talk about execution. Is there anything that can destroy genuine faith? Paul says no. Paul says a resounding no. Qualifier here. You know, one thing though, these things will destroy false faith. It will reveal the true nature of a person's heart before God. It will come to the fore. And it will reveal whether the person's faith is true or not. Matthew 13, parable of the soils and seeds that our Lord gave. He talked about a seed that went into stony ground. And it came up for a little while. But as soon as there was persecution, what happened? It was destroyed. False faith. We know that false faith destroys, is destroyed by persecution. What about the other seed that was sown in weedy ground with thorns and thistles? And when it came up for a little while, anxiety of this world, love for the world caused it to wither and die. False faith is destroyed by these things but not genuine faith. Genuine faith is not driven away by these things. It drives us towards Christ. I'll give verse 37. 
Paul says, no. He says, in all these things, we are overwhelming conquerors through whom, through, through Him who loved us. We are hooper nikamon, which means super conquerors. Right? Winners of a resounding victory. To put it in the sports vernacular, we trounced tra- them. We obliterated them. It was the Lakers last year when they beat the Nets, swept them in four. It was like not even no competition. More than conquerors, right? Likewise for the believers. In all our trials, persecutions, temptations, tribulation, in our distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, in all of that, we don't just eek by. We don't just squeak by, barely make it to heaven. No. For believers, man, we just dominate over these things. We conquer over them. Because God works all things for the good. And then he goes on in verse 38 and 39. Paul says, I am sure. Paul, that's, a, that's a Holy Spirit inspired man saying, I am convinced. There is not an iota of question or doubt in my mind. I am certain that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That about covers it all, doesn't it? Nothing. Nothing. No one, no thing can remove salvation from God's people. Well, okay James, I'm convinced. People can't take away my salvation. You know, I'm convinced suffering can't. And I'm convinced even sin can't. You know, you know what Luther told people who are struggling with salvation? He said, go sin boldly. I, I don't know if I can say that. I don't know if I've ever said that. But that was Luther's counsel. Go sin boldly, but trust in Christ. Because he believed true Christians will conquer over sin. Sin cannot separate a Christian from love of Christ. So you say, okay, James, I'm convinced. Sin can't separate me. But James, what about God? What about God himself? He's a person, isn't he? Can't God take away my salvation? Can't God say, man, I'm tired of you. You know, you're just the most stubborn person, sinner I've ever met. I've loved you, sent my son to die for you given you grace and mercy, put you in a good church, given you believers, I've given you everything, and you're still in sin. Right? You're, just, you're just blowing it big time, and you're so resistant to my commands. Can't God just give up on me and say, you know what? I'm done. I give up. You're no good. I, I'm going to move on to someone else. Can't God to that? The answer is no. The answer is no. That is why we're saved, not because of us. We're saved because of God. If if we were saved because of us, we would have all lost our salvation. I mean, who here can say we have obeyed God's word? You know, we're above reproach and the obedience of God in the secret places of our lives, of our hearts. 
No. God promises us, promised us. Romans 8.31. You know who's on our side? If God is for us, who can be against us? Satan is our accuser. But who is our defender? Paul's saying, you got it wrong. God is on our side. He's on our team. But if God is on our team, who can be against us? Not only that, verse 32, He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Will He not give us all things with Him? If God will give us His Son, Jesus Christ, is He going to withhold salvation now? I mean, He gave us His Son. His only Son, Paul says. How much more will He give us salvation? Romans 11.29 God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. They cannot be broken. When God makes a covenant, when God makes a promise, it is set in stone, is written in blood for eternity. John, 8, John 10, 28-29 I give them eternal life, they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Calvin says this, quote, Our salvation is certain because it is in the hand of God by the will of God. Our faith is weak and we are prone to waver. But God who has taken us under His protection is sufficiently powerful to scatter with a breath all the power of our adversaries. It is of great importance to turn our eyes to this. End quote. Eternal security. What a precious truth. What sweet medicine. Sweet going in, right? And sweet to our faith. Few questions, few thoughts to close our time. You know, Ralph said this Are you a loser this morning? Are you a great loser? Right? Are you losing out? on the power of the Christian life, on the joy of the Christian faith? Are you losing out on the truth that God is on your side? Are you losing out in your fight against sin and temptation? Are you living in fear and anxiety because you don't hold to this truth? Don't lose out. Trust Trust in the Word of God. The fear is, am I a Christian or not? That's a legitimate fear. But for the believer, losing salvation is not. Secondly, um, you know, Piper says this in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, how security is a mirage. What are you afraid of? What are things that cause you to fear? Do you realize that security is a mirage? That in a matter of a second, we can lose our families? We can lose our friends? It happens every day. We can lose ministry? Lose church? Health? Possessions? Fear of losing your home? 200 homes burned this weekend, right? It happened in a second. Do you see how our sense of security and control is a mirage? It's not based on reality. Even life itself, in a moment, it can be taken away from us. 
the only thing that we truly own as believers, only thing that is secure, that is not a mirage, is our salvation. Isn't that awesome? So we're afraid of the one thing that can not be taken away, and we're trying to control things we have no control over. Brothers and sisters, it's the opposite. Let goods and kindreds go, this moral life also, this body they may kill. It's, it's, it's a mirage. Don't hold on to this world. But hold on to our salvation. Don't fear that our salvation is secure because it is the only thing that is truly secure in our life. Therefore, live a life without fear. Live a life without anxiety. Live a life of boldness and courage for the glory of God and for His kingdom. Because whatever this world can take from us, God will use it for the good. And the only thing that really matters, our salvation, is in God's hands. We'll be, him, we'll be with Him forever. May these truths cause in us the great passion for His glory.